Hey, yeah, so really good to be with you. As, as Derek said, it's just always good when we get a chance to be together and glad that you kind of seized the moment and, and lean into that. Um, I was kind of kidding Derek earlier. Um, he was talking about they went to, to Myrtle Beach to experience some of spring break, which uh, which that's awesome. And um, sometimes I think he kind of rubs it in because he knows Myrtle Beach is kind of like that's our place. Like that's if we can get to Myrtle Beach, we, we do feel like we got to a little bit of heaven on earth. And that's great. Uh, but I was kind of teasing him because while uh, while he was loafing by pools, our family went on a mission trip. What you got now, Derek? So, right, um, so no more taunting the Myrtle Beach thing. We're just going to taunt the, the, the mission trip thing. So no, it just I'm glad he went to Myrtle Beach, had a great time. I hope a lot of you have had great spring breaks. Uh, we did the Allen Four. I uh, got a chance to go um, on a mission trip with uh, the Lemon family, who's also from Journey. And uh, we got to go um, and partner with an organization called Back to Back, and more specifically uh, with Eric and Julie Maori, who actually 12 years ago were part of the team that helped launch Journey Church. And you're here in part because people like the Maoris invested big and sacrificed lots to help get Journey moving a dozen years ago. And uh, so we got a chance to go with them and partner with them and really kind of explore other some potential project partnerships we might do. So we'll talk more about that in the days ahead. Uh, But just a great, great experience and opportunity to say, um, hey, look, how can we just give ourselves away a little bit? And here's what happens when you go on a um, mission trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you, you probably get a little bit of sense of this. If, if, if you haven't, here's kind of a window into what happens. Um, you go to serve, uh, but, but you get way more than you give, okay? And, and you go in part because you or somebody thinks you have something to offer, but you learn way more than you thought you knew. Uh, it just, that's kind of how it works. And that happened for us, and we, it, we'll get chances to process that in, in the days ahead. And so cool experience. Again, we'll talk more about it, and we'll, again, we'll explore whether there's a project partnership there in Mexico for us a little bit with back-to-back um, over the next couple of years. And uh, but had a great chance, but it is good. Uh, it's good to be back with you. So we miss you when we're gone, and uh, it's always good to be back with you. Uh, I want to give you a chance just early to um, all of us identify, because unless you have been under a rock for the last several decades, everybody's going to have some exposure to what we're going to talk about first, okay? Everybody's going to be able to answer yes to the first question, okay? So how many of you are at least familiar with some version of the story of Beauty and the Beast? Just hand up. Beauty and the, there it is. How many of you, yep, some version. Beauty and the, wait, 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 keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. I'm just embarrassed to say this, but the people around you don't have a hand up. They're lying in church. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Be, all right, everybody's got some version of this, like we, you got some knowledge or some version of Beauty and the Beast, right? And, and if you've had toddlers, through, especially if you had girl toddlers through your home at some point, you've probably seen Beauty and the Beast more times than you care to mention or count. You probably had interactions with your inner beast. You watched it so many times, right? I mean, it just, it just overwhelms you after a while. But there's something compelling about this story, right? There's this beast and this... This ugly, angry, drooling, kind of irritable, kind of uncouth beast that needs to be rescued by this beauty bell, right? And it's this elaborate story, and it really is a compelling story for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the reasons we're drawn to the story and one of the reasons people keep being drawn to this story in all of its forms and all of its expressions is that when we're real honest with ourselves and with one another, we we all identify a little bit with that beast. And I mean, we just, I mean, at least a little. I mean, if you're going to be honest, we identify a little bit with that beast. We identify with the beast when, when we have these moments where um, we're, maybe we're a little more angry 
than we think we should have been, or, or maybe the fuse is a little shorter than we, than we wish it would have been. Or maybe when, when some words get out our mouth, and maybe immediately or maybe even years later, we wish we could have pulled them back. Or, or even sometimes when the words don't get out our mouth, but we wish they wouldn't have run around in our brain. We wish we wouldn't have had the conversation in the privacy of our own head. Or we, we, we make some kind of de- decision that we think, oh, like, why do I, why did I really do that? I mean, we're all kind of acquainted with this, this beast. And we all see it in other people, right? We all see the beast in other people. In fact, lots of us are better at seeing it in other people than we are in ourselves. It's why it gets really easy to kind of assume that anybody who disagrees with us isn't a good person with a different idea. They're an evil person with a bad idea. It just gets easy to say, look, that, that's, the, that's the beast in them, and we sometimes can then miss the, the, the beast in us, but we're, we're drawn in part to the story because there's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of identify with that. I get a little angry sometimes. I fuse a little shorter. I don't really know how to engage. I push people away, or I, I run over people, or I mistreat people. It's like, ah. And then we've all been on the receiving end of all that. And it draws us into this, this story. It's interesting, too, because this whole idea, or really this whole reality that all of us on occasion interact with kind of this beast-like quality within us is really so much of why Jesus actually came. I mean, all throughout the story of God in the scriptures, we, we see these, these attributes being played out in other people. There, there are families and just massive dysfunction throughout the story of scripture because of people's selfishness. There are siblings fighting over and even stealing each other's inheritances. You thought that was a modern problem? Like, that's an ancient problem. Siblings who can't get along when trying to talk about an inheritance, right? There are, there are kings being betrayed and overthrown. There, there are people lying to God and about God and to Jesus and about Jesus. I mean, right? It's it's like, oh, wait, wait a, wait a second. And into the middle of all that, Jesus is inserted into the story in physical form. Because in part, he, he knows there's this really elaborate and layered rescue that needs to happen and that, that he wants to offer. And we're going to look at just one real small piece of that rescue today. In fact, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, Mark chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you grabbed a Blue Worship Center Bible on your way in today, we're going to be on page 712. Or if you're going to scroll on a phone or you brought your own Bible, however you're going to get there, that's great. Um, would love to just have you see this. And this may be a day you want to kind of circle a couple things or underline a couple things in this small passage we're going to look at. But let me set the scene for you in the context of, of where we are. In these few weeks, we started last week, we're just kind of looking at the longest weekend of, of Jesus' life on the earth as we head towards Easter and the resurrection. We started last week with, with Pastor Mark talking about the Thursday and all of the betrayal and the loneliness that comes on Thursday and the depth of that darkness and how we often really do feel when the night comes and the light goes out and the world gets quiet. And how dark it really can be and how Jesus is entering into that with us. 
today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Friday and some of the events around this, this crucifixion, the Friday of Jesus' death. And then next week, next week's going to be a lot of fun because we'll talk about this, this Saturday, the day after Friday, but before the resurrection when we often don't think much about it, but, but the, the potential and the life that's in that Saturday, those, those 24 plus hours between a death and a resurrection. And then we'll land a couple weeks from now on Easter and we'll celebrate the resurrection. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you already know this, right? But, but we want to live a resurrected life all the time. We get to live with the power of the person of Jesus in his resurrected form in our lives. But we've got this one day a year that's a gift to us where we recalibrate to it and we celebrate it like nobody's business. There's nothing more significant. Take the resurrection away from followers of Jesus and there are no followers of Jesus. It's the, it's the day. It's the day that walks us into new life and new opportunity and new hope. And so we are, we're going to celebrate it like crazy. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, there's a couple things to think about when you think about Easter. One is that there, it, there's just, there's no time like that to celebrate. It's unbelievable. And it's this reminder that Jesus is so desperate to come and reach us that there is this element that that he is looking for the one. He is looking for every individual that doesn't know the power of his life and of his resurrection. He will, he will not fully be consumed with the 99 because he is looking for the one. And it's why we lean in so much and say, okay, Jesus, all the time, we, we want to be partnering with you in that, and especially on Easter. So you've got this Thursday and this, this loneliness and this darkness and this despair. And you've got this Saturday and this in-between time. And it's going to be so compelling next week. Please be here to, next week to experience that. And then this resurrection on Easter that we're going to celebrate. And, but you've got this Friday uh, where, where Jesus experiences suffering. Where there's a crucifixion. And it's called Good Friday, right? Because it introduces lots of good things for us, like forgiveness and, and, and grace. And it's this incredible picture of Jesus' compassion. There's pain in it. And we often think about Friday and we often think about the cross, as we should. It's, it's a big part of the day. But there are some other things going on in the story. There are some things pre the cross that are just as important, to be honest. They're part of this journey of the cross. And so we're going to jump in and kind of in, in this passage of Mark, and here's what's happening. There's a guy named Pilate, uh, who he's, he's actually been part of this, this kind of trial of Jesus, this rigged thing where Jesus has been on, on trial. But Pilate, like he works for Rome, who, who is in charge of the day. The Roman Empire is leading the day, right? And Pilate works for Rome, and Pilate likes job security. Okay, he's trying to, trying to keep the right people happy. But there's something compelling about Jesus to him. And the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they want to kill Jesus. And so Pilate's caught in this tension moment of, man, if I don't satisfy these Jewish people and there becomes too much unrest here, Rome's going to be really unhappy with me and that won't go well for me. It's this unique spot that, that, that Pilate is caught in. And that's where we're going to jump in and pick up the story. Mark chapter 15, we're going to start reading in verse 15. This is what it says. Wanting to satisfy the crowd... If you ever were looking for five words that were always the clue to bad things coming, those are it. If you ever want to know, is my life headed in a good direction? If it's led by those words, it's 
It's probably not wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate, he released Barabbas, this known pretty brutal criminal of the day, because that's who the Jews said release, as, as was the custom around this time of year. Release to us Barabbas, but we want this Jesus guy, we want him, we want him crucified. So he released Barabbas to them, and then he had Jesus flogged, which means he gave permission for Jesus to be whipped 39 times, which literally would have torn off part of his flesh. 39 times was the limit. Lots of people didn't make it to 39 times. So when Jesus is done being flogged, Jesus might be closer to death already than a lot of times we we think. It's been a brutal experience. And then look what Pilate does next. He, He has Jesus flogged. And then he handed him over to be crucified, which feels like the next thing is the cross, right? He handed him over to be crucified. But there's a really significant little sequence of events that happen before the cross that we often, we often just kind of read by. Let's check them out. So the soldiers that now were in charge of Jesus, they led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole company. They're going to seize this moment. And look what they do. So they put this purple robe on Jesus, like this color of royalty, right? Hey, we're going to crucify him before we do. Let's put a purple robe and mock his supposed kingship. And they... And they twisted this crown of, of thorns. And there's so much represented in the thorns that, that we won't go into today. But, but they tie this, this crown of thorns together and they shove it down into his head. Again, just this mockery of, oh, here, here, have a, have a crown, you supposed king. And then they began to call out to him, hail, king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. They're taunting him. He goes on to, to kind of keep unpacking what they do. And again and again, they struck him on the head that now has a crown of thorns on it with a staff. And they spit on him. And then falling on their knees, they, they pay homage to him. They give him this mocking reverence. And then when they had mocked him, when they had mocked him. So that Pilate's thing was, hey, crucify him. Oh, but on the way, we're going to insert something. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and they put on his own clothes for him. Then. Then. Then they led him out to crucify him. The crucifixion was supposed to be the second thing, and, and yet it's the third. And I want to just, we're not, we're not going to take the time to go through every expression that happens, that little interchange, but just to capture it a little bit, just let your mind and your heart and your imagination settle back on this idea that they spit on Jesus. They spit on Jesus. As part of this, this mockery and this taunting and this ridicule, they, they spit on him. And here, here's what we understand, right, a, a, about somebody spits on someone. It's not meant to cause physical harm. It's meant to degrade the soul. 
the, the spit isn't, isn't meant to add some extra layer of physical pain. It's meant to add pain to the soul. It's meant to degrade the soul. It's meant to belittle. It's meant to cut down. It's, it's meant to diminish. It's meant to make feel small. When, when we lived in Virginia for a decade, one of my friends was a police officer there, and he worked nights for a lot of that time, and you were allowed once a year to have a ride-along and uh, so once a year, I would, I would have a ride-along. I, I just, I, I, I absolutely, I just, I loved it. Um, and it was always fascinating to me to watch people's interactions and, and, and responses to things that came up in the, in the middle of the night uh, and the police were involved. And I remember one time in particular, uh, my friend and one of his fellow officers, they were arresting a guy for a combination of things. And we were all standing in this, this parking lot, and I can still see this parking lot and this, this empty, dark businesses at night, and this road that still had some middle-of-the-night traffic kind of rolling right around us. And I remember this, this guy who was, was going go to go to jail, at least for the night, and he's in handcuffs, and he begins to look at, at, at my, my friend, the officer who was my friend, and he begins to say, I'm going to spit on you. I'm, I'm going to spit on you. I spit on you. And as he was walked past him, that's what he did. He tried to spit on my friend. Now, why did he try to spit on him? It's not because somehow if he could spit on him, that was magically going to make the handcuffs disappear. It wasn't like he was somehow going to win a physical battle. Right? What, what's, the, what's the attempt? Even if not fully conscious attempt, it's, it's to somehow at least degrade the soul, to degrade and minimize the person, to somehow try and at least even the playing field and then try and get yourself an upper hand. And Jesus sits in it. And he gets mocked, and he gets taunted, and he gets ridiculed. They're degrading his soul. They're degrading his very identity of who he says he is. They're pushing against everything that he knows himself to be. Not physically, but internally, as a person, as Jesus. It's like he's He's on the wrong end of the beast at its fullest expression, right? Without reserve and without filter, a crown of thorns, beaten by a staff, spit on, mocked. You see, Jesus is going to get to a cross. And he's going to, He's going to stand in the gap and absorb our sins so that we could literally be forgiven and walk in a new life. He's going to do that. But in these moments before that cross, we get this window into how complete and how full the love and work of Jesus is for us. When, when he doesn't just go absorb our sin, he actually absorbs our ridicule. He absorbs our wounds. He absorbs that crisis. He absorbs all the places that we've been mocked, pushed down, cast aside, made to feel small. He, he sits in all of that. As part of what he's absorbing on our behalf as part of what he's trying to bring healing and redemption to. And, and here's the thing, like, you know, hopefully most of us have not been in an altercation or been in a moment like that where we have physically been spit upon, but there are some ways that, 
that life can kind of tend to attempt to degrade the soul, to push down the soul, to squash us a little bit. One of them is just with words. You know, when sometimes we're on the, the wrong side of words. And we know that those, those words start getting used against us. And we talk about words a lot around here and the power of words and life and death, the scripture tells us. And, you know, we've talked about this reality that, that you know, your mom probably did tell you at some point growing up that sticks and stones could break your bones, but names would never hurt you. And your mom was a liar on that point, okay? As was mine, okay? Because words do have power and they do have life. And you see it in there, there's this, oh, come on, hail, king of the Jews. Come on, do something for yourself, Right? And sometimes we've been on the wrong side of some words. And sometimes, listen, sometimes those words have been remarkably calculated and intentional. They have been the, they have been the expression of somebody's wrath or contempt for us or hatred towards us. I think sometimes the almost more painful one is the unintentional one. Right? The almost accidental one. It's the one that somebody doesn't really know they said that caused pain, that we wish they knew how much pain it caused. And it just pushes against the soul. Then there's abandonment. Just the sense that who was with me now isn't with me. The sense that the person or the family member who was with me, now somehow they're not with me. My dad was here, but now he's 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 not. That person was my friend and now they're not. And I know a lot of the reason they're not. But when I'm honest, there's a 10% factor in there that I'm not really sure why they're not still my friend. And I feel a little abandoned by that. And then there's this thing that sometimes the soul feels most unvalued and the most pushed down when when we're living in the midst of people who are present, but at the same time absent. Uh, some of us kind of grew up in environments like that, right? Where we shared a living space with somebody. We lived under the same roof. There was physical proximity, but there was mental and emotional and spiritual just kind of absence. And most of the time that wasn't predetermined. And most of the time that wasn't overly intentional. It's from whatever wound they brought to the table or whatever. And yet it can feel like this thing, but boy, wait, why are you here but not with me? Why are we together but not together? And the, the soul starts to feel less and the pain starts to set in. And then maybe the next thing is the little bit of numbness we'll try and package around it. Jesus experienced all of them, right? One of his closest disciples tried to tell him he was crazy at one point, Right? His family did call him crazy at one point. Here, by the time we get to this point in the story, his closest disciples have abandoned him. And the point of greatest need, they are gone. Jesus, he knows it, right? This isn't the first time Jesus has experienced it. This This is magnified expression. And Jesus sits in that and he takes it and he experiences it. And part of what Jesus is doing is saying, look, 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 I, want, I, I am going to forgive you. I am going to make the way for forgiveness and for us to be one again. But I want you to know it's even more than that. It's even better than that. 
I want to I heal and restore your soul. And so maybe part of what Jesus would say to you in the middle of a good Friday is, hey, would you just receive the gift of my healing? Would you just receive the gift of my healing? Would you just receive the fact that I took your mockery? I took your shame. I, I took all the times people in all of the forms have spit on your soul. took that. I took that. So you would know I could sit in it with you, that I could bring you through that so that I could heal that. But here's the tension. That says a lot, and we've experienced a lot of that, where it feels like other people have kind of been the beast where the other people have been kind of unkind and unfair and we've been on the wrong side of that. But, you know, part of what draws us to that Beauty and the Beast story is the same thing that begins to draw us to Jesus is because we also see it in ourselves and we're drawn to the hope of it, something being different. We're drawn to the the hope that maybe we could be different. And Jesus knew it. Jesus talked about it. That's why Jesus is trying to invite us all the time into this transformation of our soul. It's why Jesus is raising standards all the time. It's it's why Jesus, when he's on the earth, is saying, look, you've been told don't murder. And that's so good. So good. But, but, But I actually want to invite you into something more. I want to invite you in to don't even hate. You've heard it said don't murder. That's great. I want to empower you to actually love so that there's not room for hate in your life. Jesus is saying, because, because when, you, when you live your life and your life gets expressed to the people around you, I just want you to know you're doing that to me. When you're loving, you're loving me. When you're not, you're, that's to me too. There's this parable that Jesus tells in which essentially he's the king, he's the leader in this, this parable. And he, he, he talks about very simple but helpful, profound things being done for the least of these, the cup of cold water, the visit when we're in need, the, the word of encouragement, the look of hope, the, the expression of love. And at the end of this parable, this is how Jesus kind of sums this little parable up that he tells in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, the king will reply, again, that's kind of Jesus. He's talking about himself. The king will reply, truly, I'm going to tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, well, you did that for me. When you gave that look of love and hope and encouragement, when you spoke that word of encouragement, when you gave somebody an opportunity, when you gave the cold water to the person in need, when you gave that person a place to live, when you, you did that to me. But what's also true is the opposite of all of that. When you ignored the person in need, when you ignored the person that needed love, when you ignored the person that needed encouragement, when you ignored the person that needed the cup of cold water, when you ignored the person that needed a place to live, what, then you, you ignored me. If when you did it to them, that was me, then when you ignored them, well, that was me too. Which means sometimes the beast gets out of us and sometimes we're the ones that degrade the soul. Sometimes we're the ones that, that add the wound and that cause the belittling. I mean, how? Lots of ways, but some of the very same ways it happens to us. It's with our words. 
It's with our words. It's the, it's the things we say in the heat of a moment that we wish we wouldn't have said. It's the little calculated manipulation where we form the perfect sentence to put the jab just the right way. It's the, it's the abandonment. Sometimes we're the friend that walked away. And we're not sure why. We're, we, we, you know, we're not real sure why we walked away. There was one thing, and it just felt like, well, that's it. I'm done with this. And we didn't really want to solve the conflict. And we're not real sure why that person's not our friend anymore. But at the end of the day, it's because we walked away. We, we quit too soon. We quit before we really, really tried to sort the issue. We just didn't want the headache of dealing with the issue. And so we walked away. Or sometimes we're the one that's present but absent. Sometimes we're the one that... Like we're living under the same roof, but we're not really there. Or we're hanging out with the same group of friends, but we're not really present in those conversations. Some, sometimes, it's, sometimes it's us. And Jesus sits in the middle of all that, and he takes the spit, and he takes the mockery, and he, he takes the taunting, and he takes the belittling. So that, yeah, he can say, hey, would you receive my healing? But but also to invite us to say, look, I'm, I'm going to get to a cross even for this. So I just want to invite you would, you, would you repent of degrading others? While you're receiving the healing for what's been done to you, would you repent from doing it to others? Would you repent from where intentionally or unintentionally you push down somebody else's soul, where there hasn't been physical harm, but there's been this emotional Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm going to get to a cross. It's the next thing, right? It's the next thing in this story. It's the next thing in Good Friday. I'm making a way for forgiveness, and I've sat in even this. Would you re- repent and allow me to forgive you for even that? So here's, the, here's the thing. Like, um, this beast has got to be rescued. And, and beauty and the beast, it's... It's just simply a kiss, right? That's all it takes, right? And there's this, this transformation. This, and it's cool. Like, you've got to solve it in, in one hour and 50 minutes or however long the movie is, right? It's great. And yet when we pull back just one notch and we consider what Jesus sat in, what Jesus went through, what Jesus absorbed for us, It's just so far beyond that. that. That he would literally kind of take on the, the curse and the weight of that mockery, the curse and the weight of sin, so that he could heal and he could restore, that he could forgive and he could make whole. There's a guy named Paul who, um, Paul in, in the New Testament of the Bible, he was more acquainted with, with the beast in him <laughs> and the depth of God's grace than maybe anybody. And he was just aware of how lavish and unmeasured God's grace and kindness was to him. And he wrote about it this way in, in a letter to some people in Galatia. This is what he wrote in Galatians chapter 3. He said, Christ redeemed us. Jesus like bought us back. In the spiritual world, he legally paid for us. And he redeemed us from the curse of the law or this pattern of being stuck in sin and brokenness. And he did it 
by becoming that for us. He became, he literally took it on. He took on the mockery done to us, the mockery we've done. He took on the spit we received and the spit we've given. He took on the sin done to us and the sin we've committed. Because it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. There's this imagery of this cross, right? The cross is a sign of absorbing a curse. Paul says Jesus did that for us. Jesus sat in the middle of of all of that. And part of what we get this invitation to in this very small little portion that's part of the journey to the cross is simply these two invitations. To receive his healing and repent of where we've degraded others. Receive his healing. Repent, turn from, from where we've degraded others. Receive his forgiveness and him making us new in that. And again, I, th- I think it's, it's something we just kind of, we, we, we brush by and we get to the cross and we get to the forgiveness of sins, which is obviously so valuable, right? But I'm amazed at how much more full the movement of Jesus is in his story. And so I just want to give us a minute and a chance to respond. So just a a portion of our team is going to come back and they're just going to lead us for a minute. And in a minute, we're going to, um, we're going to sing a a song that's, that's newer to some of us. And here's what I just want to invite you to do. Um, In a minute, I'll ask us to stand and we'll, we'll sing this as you want. But I just want to say to you, you might choose to just sit and to just receive Just be a listener to Jesus and receive his invitation to receive his healing or maybe his nudge to to see, oh, I really have been a belittle or a degrader of somebody's soul over here. I don't even know if I meant to do that, but I repent of that. Jesus, I don't don't want any part of that. Maybe you'll just sit and absorb that. Maybe you'll take that connection card and you'll just begin to write a prayer on it or on your teaching outline. Maybe you'll just kneel there at your seat or first hour, some people even came and they knelt up here, which is great, whatever. The only thing we want to do is just say, Jesus, if you're going to go that far and if you're going to sit in so many layers of redemption for us, then we just want to hear everything you're trying to do in our lives. We want to trust in your loving transformation even in this moment. So I want to invite you to stand and stand and we're just, again, you may sing this, you may listen. You may end up sitting, kneeling, writing, doesn't matter. It's just you and Jesus in the moment. It's just you and Jesus in the moment. Jesus, so in this time, we, we do. We give you all the space you want. At the end of the day, we need you. We've sang about you being our answer. We've sang about that today. And this part of your story, this part of your life reminds that you really are our answer. So even now, lead us into your healing. Lead us into your very compassionate repentance. Thanks for your eagerness even right now to to kind of work and to heal and to restore and to, to put some things back together for us. Jesus, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the courage to hear you clearly and be honest with ourselves? Maybe we really have said some words that we didn't think about at the time or we wish we could pull back. Maybe we really have abandoned where really see it that way. Maybe there's some places we're present with we're kind of absent. Would you give us the courage to hear 
to be honest with ourselves. Thanks for this moment, Jesus. We trust you. We trust your sacrificial love for us.